0: You're listening to the Dear Billionaire Podcast, an honest conversation about attracting and retaining world-class household staff. So whether you're a millionaire or a billionaire, new money or old, if you already have a house manager and estate manager, or you're thinking about hiring one, you'll better understand how to be a good employer to find and retain trusted world-class staff, why you should care more about the people working inside of your home, and how to turn over the reins of making management of your most valuable assets. I'm Kelly Ford Dixon. I was an estate manager for some of the wealthiest families in the world and am currently a luxury home management consultant. I'll be sharing some wisdom from other service professionals that may help improve the enjoyment of your amazingly complex life. So hello and welcome. Hello, everyone. This week, we're talking about live-in versus live-out household staff, and we're going to address some of the pros and cons. And to be honest, when I think about this type of topic, I've only seen it done badly. The only successful relationship that I can think of where it works out for everyone is Alice on the Brady Bunch. And if you're not familiar, 70s sitcom where Alice is the significant role in that fictitious blended family. But fast forward to today and some real life situations, I'm sure this works out for a lot of people for a while, but the transition when the relationship ends can be a little rough. So we're going to dive into that. But I'm still not convinced that live-in is a good idea. I understand that in certain circumstances, it's essential. And this is when you live on large properties in the middle of nowhere and housing is extremely expensive. So I do understand it. But these types of employment relationships need some fine (laughs) pinpointed detailed agreements so that everybody's clear on expectations. I have seen house managers and estate managers lose their livelihood and their housing unexpectedly and not having a plan B in place. So that's another part of this. But if you think about the most stressful times in anyone's life, aside from death and divorce, it's right up there with new jobs and moving. So those two pieces alone kind of put this on the traumatic experience list. But outside of a ranch manager where the majority of those responsibilities are not pointed to a family's day-to-day service needs. And in addition to, let's say, a nanny, an au pair, or a caregiver, where, again, their primary focus is on one segment of that family, not the entire property responsibilities, staffing, mechanics, et cetera. This can be a really tricky relationship when someone lives on the property or lives in an employer-owned property. It differs slightly whether it's on the primary residence property. So let's say it's a guest casita or whether it's in the principal's home Let's say it's a garage apartment, or hopefully it's got a secondary entrance, hopefully. Or if it's on a property just owned by the family off-site, but nearby. There are slight differences of those relationships for sure. But here's how the relationship can be tested it is harder to draw clear boundaries between work and personal time for that staff member and for the homeowner as well. When you're enjoying your personal time, let's say you're sitting there watching television, it's harder to say no to after hours requests. And the third thing is there are no after hours. Those words do not apply terminating this relationship on both sides is a traumatic event. And likely you'll be inviting someone that you don't know all that well into a property that you live in or that you own. So again, in what scenario is that a great idea? If the employee, the live-in employee does not want to leave You'll need legal support. So that's on property, off property, et cetera. And staff tend to stay longer than they should in dysfunctional and dissatisfying employment relationships because, again, it's tied to their housing and their security there. Privacy issues are often breached on both sides of this relationship. And even in the best case scenario, when everyone is happy, it's easy to become too familiar and too friendly or part of the family. I've got another blog post um, on that specific topic that I'll provide a link for in the show notes here. There are upsides. A long term lease is easily broken when an employee needs to exit. So it's not like you're contracting with, you know, another landlord. Proximity to the property is probably the key factor. And then the standard of living for that staff and the locale itself are likely to be greatly improved by what that staff member might be able to afford otherwise. Now, I hear a lot of principals, homeowners who say, I'm providing free housing. Okay, well, is it is it really? Um, when this phrase is used, it typically refers to the fact that either the employee has been provided housing, but their compensation rate is reduced to cover the housing, and it's a part of the compensation package. Or they do pay rent and their uh, salary is updated or upgraded to include that rent amount. And in new wealth families, I see that they struggle a lot with actually having someone, a stranger, you know, a virtual stranger on their property and they don't know how to negotiate that day in living situation. And in more old money families where the household staff has always been the norm, it can be more easily acceptable to have an outsider inside the family home. But my best suggestions for live in employment are that they don't enter into these employment situations if there are any other viable options. And if employer-provided housing is the only option, hire an attorney to prepare a contract with an end date. Don't leave that open-ended. Outline what those stipulations are when that ends, because it will end. Someone will quit, someone will get fired, someone will um, hopefully not pass away, but It will terminate at some point. Review the contract details and decide whether the living arrangements and employment will continue beyond that end date. So say 30 days before the end date of that contract, everyone sit down, review the details and make sure that you want to move forward with another lease and employment agreement, even though you've got at-will employment. Renew that agreement so that everybody can look at the terms and the stipulations and understandings. I suggest an additional agreement to this, and I always call this the memorandum of understanding. These will outline those gray areas that aren't necessarily covered in a contract like personal boundaries, 24 service expectations, communication hours. When is this person required to pick up the phone? 24 hours a day, even when they're sleeping, or can you set communication hours between, say, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., something like that? Privacy issues, big deal. Are they allowed to knock on the door of the employee at two o'clock in the morning (laughs) after a bottle of wine? You know, there needs to be some boundaries. And the homeowner needs to have access to that dwelling for repairs, just as any other lease agreement. Time away from the property. Understand that that staff member might want to take a weekend to go away for a little getaway in their off time, in their personal time. And if that's not acceptable, they need to understand that before they enter into these agreements. Are contractor meetings scheduled and held at this location? Because uh, it could be a remote work location. And are they required to accept contractors in for those bid meetings, pre-construction meetings, etc. Is your house also their office? You'll, you'll want to stipulate that. And what are the maintenance expectations of that property? Who is providing the housekeeping services? Might want to address that. Stipulate how the space will be maintained. I have seen locations where I would be mad if I was the homeowner and I walked in and saw a disheveled apartment or a disheveled home. And so think worst case scenarios as if it was a hoarder situation or something that was just unhealthy. And then look at issues like overnight guests, parties, parties, parking, loud music, etc., and talk about those as well. And again, go back and spell out the end of contract expectations. But to the live-in private service professionals out there, know this. There are some things that I see repeatedly that aren't written in stone. I just am calling out some things that you might want to be aware of, and hopefully these don't necessarily apply to you. But don't let your boundaries slide when you live in your employer's property, meaning you still need personal time off. You need personal space and you need boundaries. You typically lack a private life and you may not have control over how you like to live. So it's something to be uh, talked about and addressed. You may not have the healthiest work-life balance, you tend to neglect your plan B if you lose your employment and your home in the same moment, where are you going to (laughs) go? What are you going to do? Where are you going to put your things? And most people are unprepared with their financial resources. Realize that to find a new position takes three to six months at a minimum. Are you financially prepared to support yourself through that time. So if you're considering offering this type of employment, if a rental income is your focus, think about whether this wouldn't be a less messy scenario to actually rent to a qualified renter, Um, not your employee, someone who doesn't work inside of your home. Isn't it healthier for the private service professional to go to their home at night? For healthier boundaries. And before making this decision, realize that it's critical to your family to have this discussion collectively uh, for a long-term role. This relationship impacts everybody in your family and on both sides of this agreement. And in the best case scenarios, communicate frequently about what's working, what's not working, what you love and the frustrations of this type of situation. Also, consider whether there could be a transition from live in to live out without severing the employment agreement. So, that could be another layer to think about if the living conditions aren't suitable to everyone's needs. Remember, we're talking about real life situations and not a sitcom, not the Brady Bunch. Our Western culture. Isn't really acceptant of living conditions where a non family member joins in. So it's not really um, done that often. And this type of family dynamic is unusual these days. And there's many, many layers to consider. So take your time, list the advantages and the disadvantages that you will gain by having someone who lives in your home or on your property before you. Enter into these agreements. Thank you for listening to the Dear Billionaire Podcast. Please check our show notes, find us on social media, and sign up for emails to receive promotions and notifications from estate management systems, about our house management systems and services. We also have a YouTube channel with past contents that may be of interest to you. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and to our YouTube channel to receive notices of our weekly topics. And lastly, I want to thank Leonie lawrence Sandwich. She is my editor, virtual assistant, and all-around smart woman that keeps things on track around here. And to the brilliant Paige Ray Creative for all of my brand development for all of my products and services. Thank you for listening.